0: Welcome to the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast. I am Hank Shaw, your host. Today, I wanted to bring you a special podcast that I recorded, believe it or not, in one take, in one fell swoop. I was so overcome with, I don't know about emotion is not the right word, but I was overcome with the feeling just to get this off my chest, either by talking about it or putting it in print. And since I now have a podcast, I decided to just turn the recorder on and go. What I'm talking about this week is early spring. Here in California, we're already in the beginning of spring, believe it or not. And there's a ton of stuff to do right at the moment that hunting seasons end. It's a talk not just about the mechanics of foraging in the early spring, but it's also talking about that feeling you get when hunting's over and you're looking for the next thing and grasping that next thing and really holding on to it, enjoying the transitions in your life. So I hope you enjoy it. Again, this is Hank Shaw with Hunt, Gather, Talk, and here we go. So we finally got outside today. It's been, God, I don't know how long it's been. I mean, I've been duck hunting a lot this winter, of course, and that is outside, and that's plenty of exercise, and it's getting out in nature, sure, but... I haven't been foraging in ages, and I, I don't even know how long it's been. I think just months, months, I think. And, and it it, and it kind of hurts me because I spend a lot of time in front of the computer, and yet my whole life is geared towards being outside, and, and it's that push-pull that can really kind of grind you down a little bit. It gives me a really good reminder of what life used to be when I had a day job and when I used to wear a suit and drive and commute and and just deal with a rat race like everybody else. And I normally feel it so rarely that it's good to actually have this happen so that I can appreciate what it is to be outside and to see green again. So I took a walk just along my normal spots. and, And today is January 27th. And that does not really seem too springy to most people, because it isn't. I mean, January 27th, where I used to live in Minneapolis and St. Paul, that wasn't even the end of the beginning of winter, let alone the end of winter. It was the beginning of that long period of suck that you get in the northern tier. So I am deeply sympathetic to the fact that most of the rest of the country, and Canada for that matter, is still locked in winter and will be locked in winter for at least 60 days and sometimes 90 days. And if you're in the northern part of Canada, a lot longer than that. So the fact that I saw the first almond blossom today and I walked around in a T-shirt and miner's lettuce is growing and wild onions are coming up and there are some of the spring mushrooms have shown up. All of this is deeply, deeply gratifying to me, but I get that it's almost, it's almost something that I can't just talk about. You know, if you've ever had this case where you and your spouse or your significant other, you've been together for a while. So normally you can talk about anything. And let's just say on day one, you just had a fantastic day. You got a raise or you shot a limit of ducks, or, you know, you found all kinds of good mushrooms, or you caught a bunch of fish, or or whatever. You just had a really good day for whatever reason it was a good day. And you get home and you find that your significant other or spouse or, or person that you care deeply about has had a shitty day, a terrible day, and that person is deeply depressed and just doesn't want to hear it and wants to have a beer or a glass of whiskey and just go to bed and just make sure that this day is over. That's how I feel right now. I can't talk about my good day because to talk about such a grand day when a person that you care about has had such a crappy day, that just seems cruel in a, in a way that that only can happen between couples and that, well, you're not married to me and and we're not couples, but I do feel a kinship with Hunter, Angler, Gardner, cook nation. And I don't want to kind of rub it in, if you know what I mean. So I rarely talk about my springtime adventures until later, until other people can experience spring. So I might write about miner's lettuce or spring greens or the spring mushrooms that I look for, but I typically won't do it in January because that just seems really mean. Well, I'm going to talk about it right now. Sorry. If this makes you sad, then just don't play this podcast until it's springtime where you are. But but there are lots of people who live and listen to this podcast and read Hunter Angler Gardner Cook who live here. Or if you think about it, I'm in Northern California. I have friends like Pascal Baudar and Mia Wasilevich who live in Southern California. They're They're already deep in their foraging year. And the Arizonans and the New Mexicans and people in Houston or New Orleans or southern Florida, there are a lot of places that are a lot more balmy than even where I live. I mean, heck, we can, we can go below freezing all the way up until tax day. Now, with climate change or whatever you want to call it, that hasn't happened in 10 years. But in theory, we could get a frost on April 15th. It just doesn't seem to happen. And in fact, we have not had a hard frost in two years we'll go below freezing, but we won't really get that twenty-seven degree hard frost that kills a lot of things. So it's just kind of cruised along and and one of the things that I really, really loved seeing today is I have a route. And the route that I take is it's set. It's set to the point where if there were no sidewalks and no trails, there would be trails right now. It is a set of places along the American River, that I have walked for 11 years now. And it's near my house, and I get to see what the wild world is doing. And Sacramento County has been kind enough to create a riverine park that goes all the way from actual wilderness in the, in, you know on in the, in the upper American River all the way to downtown Sacramento. And along this band of wildness, anything can happen. There have been mountain lions. There are Boone and Crockett deer. I busted a huge covey of California quail today. I mean, there had to be 60 of them in it, and it was, it was super cool. I just love watching them and they, that liquid sound that they make. And I just sat there and watched them do their business for a bit, and it just was super cool to see their little commas on their heads and scurrying around and doing whatever it is that quail do. But there's wildlife, and when there's wildlife, there's plant life, and there's plant life of infinite variety along this park, and it's very interesting to look at. And it's all starting now. What really makes me feel so, so happy is for the first time in three years, we've had a lot of rain. We have an El Nino year this year, and we've had a ton of rain. The the, the nearby Folsom Lake has gone up something like 60 feet in the last two months, which Boy, we need it because we're still not out of the woods. We we're below where we were last year, in fact, but we're gaining ground and and I hope to continue to gain ground and, and water is the key. And last year, I distinctly remember walking the same route and seeing nothing, you know, just seeing plants just hanging on by their roots, which would I suppose be the equivalent of a plant fingernail. They're just hanging on. I mean, and nothing was big and there was no mushrooms and everything was stunted. And, and and the whole earth felt sad. It, It felt like it was getting ready to die and it was super depressing. I mean, it was not fun to make that walk, even though I knew that as little rain as we had last year, it was, that was the nicest this was ever going to be. This year today, Today was an entirely different story. Today, everything is, everything's banging, you know? The the mushrooms are everywhere, and the plants are already coming up, and I'm seeing, you know, the beginnings of flowers even, and it's not even Super Bowl. And again, I apologize for those of you who live in colder climates, but for us, we start to see tree flowers, you know? Um, things from the prunus variety like uh, like wild plums and all of the domestics like almonds and cherries and apricots and things like that. They start right around Super Bowl and they're always in bloom by St. Valentine's Day. So things come early and we're starting to see that now. And it's really, it's gratifying to see that. So what did I see today? And it's fun because I get to see places that feel like old friends. I happen to know that there is a patch of evening primroses at this particular spot on this particular hill and this particular place on the American River Parkway. And sure enough, there they are. Same thing with carrots. Uh, there's a huge bank of wild carrots in, in several different places that I walk by, and they're doing nicely, and it's nice to see that. The miner's lettuce is up, and and if you don't know miner's lettuce, and, and you can be forgiven for not, but miner's lettuce is a very West Coast spring green, and it's, it's called miner's lettuce because the miner's, the miner 49ers, you know, in 1849 and such, they would eat it in the springtime to stave off scurvy, which, as you might imagine, miner's lettuce contains enough vitamin C and other nutrients to... Get you, to get you healthy again after a hard winter of eating salt pork and drinking too much whiskey, no doubt. Well, everything in the early spring seems to be a tonic. The miner's lettuce is the most ubiquitous, and it is a, a world-class salad green. It is one of the very few salad greens, very few plants for that matter, that are native to what is now the United States that were exported to Europe. And think about that for a second. There's very, very, very little that was native to our part of North America that has been exported elsewhere. Now, everybody is going to say, well, what about the potato? Well, that's Peru. What about the tomato? That's Central America. What about the pepper? Well, you, you got me there. The pepper does actually live wild in what is now the United States. It lives in southern Texas and southern New Mexico and southern Arizona. But that's it. Even then, it's the little teeny chiltepine chilies, which uh, also called a bird chili. And they're wonderful. I love them to death. But they are, uh, they're not the pepper that you know of, chances are. Corn. What about corn? Well, corn is also native to Central America. Now, again, it existed in North America by the time that we showed up. So that's probably a good leaner. And then the other one is squash. Great number of squashes. Also, they came with the corn. Same with the beans. So virtually all of the beans that you have ever eaten are native to the new world. The only old world beans are garbanzos, also known as chickpeas. Fava beans are old world beans. Lentils are old world beans and there's a couple other weird ones like a chicerchia bean and there's there's a few like lupini beans are also old world but everything that you know of like a pinto or a black bean or a northern bean or a borlotti bean or you name it a green bean for that matter those are all from central american cultures north american culture has given the rest of the world very little miners lettuce is one of those things the jerusalem artichoke incidentally is another one miners lettuce is a low ground covery Matty thing of heart-shaped and then circular leaves, depending on how old it is. And right now they're just very young, and there are only a few places where you can grab it. I happen to have it growing all over my backyard, so I didn't have to bother picking any today. But I could if I wanted, and it was really comforting to see that walking through and just sort of looking at everything. And the, the 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 gray pines, which is one of our unique pines to the Central Valley here in California, they will develop very significantly large well, they're sex organs, actually. <laughs> you know, like a cone and a and the opposite of a cone, which is I there's a name for it that escapes me at the moment. But these sex organs will eventually clot up with pollen. Bright yellow pollen. And it won't happen for quite a while, but the but the actual things that will have the pollen have already started to form. So things are starting to move. This is a warm period in what has been a relatively cold winter, and by that I mean high 30s and low 40s. It never really gets super cold here. So I was looking for Bluet mushrooms, and I was looking for oyster mushrooms, and I was looking for honey mushrooms. Those are my area's three edible mushrooms for the winter. And on a good year, I can I can pick pounds and pounds and pounds of bluett's. And uh, there will be a link to how to figure out bluets on this page. But they are a lovely little mushroom. They're violet. And they taste just like a regular mushroom, except they, uh, they're violet. And they smell a little bit like concentrated orange juice. <laughs> yeah, it's trippy. But that's a great way to identify them. But I only found two today. And I found a bunch of really old, ruined ones. And then I found a patch of honey mushrooms where I knew they would be because honey mushrooms are, they're parasitic mushrooms. So if you see them on a tree, that means they're destroying what's left of that tree. They tend to not grow on living trees. And they come back year after year after year after year. And there's one patch that I have literally been coming to for 11 straight years. Well, I missed it. They were ruined. They were melted. There was just a, a heap of black sitting on the base of this tree, and and well, that was a little bit disappointing. Honey mushrooms aren't really my favorite. They're they're okay. They're they're good for like a pierogi filling or a ravioli filling or to add bulk in a mushroom ragu, but they're not something that you really want to highlight. They're just they're nice. They're mushroomy. Uh, There's they're just not very special. But I missed them. Then I missed the blewits. So that's kind of a bummer, although they may come back. I I picked bluets here in the Sacramento area all the way into March. So depending on how cool it stays and how wet it stays, we may see them again. Oyster mushrooms, they're a crapshoot. Everybody knows what an oyster mushroom looks like. And I have four or five patches, and only one of them is not known by some mysterious other mushroom hunter who I've never met. I often see cut edges of... The oyster mushrooms at the spots that I know of. I'm like, damn it. I always imagine this person is Russian. So I'm going to call him Ivan. You know, Ivan's been there before me. You know, I mean, the reason I do that is because there are a lot of Russian immigrants in my area and the the Russian immigrants are crazy for mushrooms. So I have a lot of competition in in my home region. And and so the competition is always going to be Ivan. And Ivan got the oyster mushrooms that I wanted today. So those are my winter mushrooms, but they're mostly gone. And it sort of made sense because the miner's lettuce is here. The curly dock is just coming up nicely, and curly dock is another spring green. Uh, There are versions of it that live all over the country. Curly dock is actually a western. It's it's from Europe, and it's an invasive species. The other thing that is on my list in the springtime are uh, wild onions. There is an invasive, again, European wild onion that is called a three-cornered leek, and that is just about popping up right now. It's, it's a good eight inches above the soil, and it grows near streams, and the streams now are pretty high because we've had so much rain, so they're getting all the water they could possibly want, and it's going to be a banner year for three-cornered leeks. And what are they? They are, as, they might, as you might imagine, three-cornered, they're triangular. And they are a green onion. They grow in very thick clumps along wet places. And when they start to flower, which shouldn't be for a couple of months, even here, they have a very pretty little white flower. And of course, they smell like onions. So that's, that's a, a foraging trick for you. If you are looking for wild onions, they smell like onions. If you have something that you suspect is an onion and it doesn't smell like an onion, it's not an onion. So don't eat it. The birds were here too. I mean, one of the things that I noticed today is there were no flickers. It's January. There should be flickers everywhere. They come from the high Sierra and then they come down here and hang out in the nice weather in our winter so that they don't get covered in snow up north. Well, it's funny I just said that. Where I live, up north can also meet at high altitude. And it's a funny little verbal tick that everybody seems to have here. But anyway, what I mean is that the Flickers spend much of their year at high elevation, and then they come down here in the winter, and they seem to be heading back up to middle elevations at this point, although any good cold snap will bring them back down. But the biggest thing that I saw that I thought was fascinating was there's a spot, and again, these spots are all like old friends. You know, I I know where to look down. I know more or less what... Time of year, and sometimes even what day of the year that I need to go, and there's a, a little cluster of oak trees at the bottom of a trail, and it's in a deep dark place. You know, you wouldn't think that there would be too too many deep dark places you know, on a, on a river, but this is in, tucked in a hollow, and in this hollow, right around now, you can find what is called an Amanita vernicocora. Uh, it's a Latin name for a springtime edible. Amanita mushroom. And I know that sounds crazy that there are edible Amanitas, but believe it, there are. I am um, hesitant to talk about them because I don't want people to go off half-cocked and think, hey, you know, I'm just going to go pick this mushroom and eat it, when you really, really, really need to know your stuff if you're going to pick Amanitas for the table. This is a family of mushrooms that contain both the most lethal mushrooms in North America, and some of the best. But it's not for beginners. It's really not even for intermediate mushroom hunters. It's it's a kind of a mushroom hunter 3.0 kind of thing. So anyway, I happen to know what this mushroom looks like. It's yellow, and it's big, and it can, I mean, the one I picked today, because there was one there, the one I picked today weighed almost a pound I mean they're just very very large mushrooms so there it is you know again i was saying last year and the year before and the year before that it had been so dry that all of these tried and true mushroom spots nothing happened and i can't tell you how happy i was to see this bright shining white cap of this giant amanita mushroom and I, you know, it's it's funny. So I'm about to bend over to pick this thing and some biker, I see some bikers come by. So I, I I do what I always do and I stand up and I start looking at my cell phone as if I'm, you know, more engrossed in my cell phone and some stupid text than I am in the environment around me, which is very much not the case, but it's a great deception for people on bicycles and joggers. Well, the guy goes by and I bend down I pick this thing and, you know, I, I throw it in my little bag and I come home. And there's something weird, really weird. So I know this mushroom. I mean, I know this spot. This spot is consistent for this Amanita vernicocora. And this is a mushroom that has a very white, um, kind of a blanket over its cap that peels off very easily, as this one does. Underneath it is a canary yellow, kind of a very light, pretty yellow. This one's not quite that color it's more buff than yellow and i know that rain can cause color differences in in mushrooms so i'm not super concerned it's got the right as they call it, volval sac which sounds really dirty <laughs> and a lot of the a lot of mushroom terms are, are really dirty in fact there's a there's a a cousin of this particular mushroom called amanita vaginata so chew on that one for a bit anyway um Every amanita comes, starts as an egg, and it looks like a, a, an egg made of mushroom. And then it grows out of this egg, and it grows vertically. And at the base of the egg is the volval sac. And the volval sac, the other side of the egg, looks differently depending on what kind of amanita it is. So in this particular case, it's very big, it's fleshy, and it tends to be sort of triangular shaped. So this one was, in fact, I am 98% sure that this particular mushroom is indeed an Amanita vernicocora. It's in the right spot. It's in the right tree, has almost all of the distinguishing characteristics except for one, and that is Amanita vernicocchera has distinct striations all around the edge of the cap. And this is a a distinctive feature that many edible amanitas share. Not all, but many do. Caps that don't have these striations tend to not be edible. And in fact, the death cap and the destroying angel, which are findable at this time of year, are distinct in not having those striations. So this gives me deep pause. Deep enough where I am not going to eat said mushroom because all it takes is, you know, a little bit of overconfidence with this variety of mushrooms. And you literally could die and no life is worth a mushroom. So I tell you this story for two reasons. One, episode three of this podcast was all about identifying mushrooms for beginners and if you have not listened to that podcast go back and listen to it because uh, I I walk you through all I walk you through everything that you need to know to get started and what I just walked you through a second ago is some very 2.0 3.0 kind of deep mushroom knowledge and the teachable moment for that is even though I've been doing this for decades if a mushroom in a particular class and that class can be send you to the hospital or worse Everything has to be right. You can't will a mushroom to be what, it, what you want it to be. It is what it is, and you have to be clear-eyed about that. So I'm just not going to eat that mushroom. I know it is. My intellectual brain says, yes, it is. But the little safety switch that everybody should have says, eh, not worth it. The second reason I told you about this is that this is a spring mushroom. This is a mushroom that only appears right when winter gives way to spring here in Sacramento. It's a harbinger. It's one of the very first things that comes out in terms of the spring. Well, mushrooms aren't flora, but you get my drift. Miner's lettuce comes out. Those onions come out. We start to see the springtime mushrooms, and things start to move. And it's fascinating that all of this occurs right around the end of duck season, because duck season ends on Sunday, the thirty-first, and then the Super Bowl comes, and then I wake up, I blink, and I think, "What have I been doing the past hundred some odd days?" Because it it almost has it's almost never foraging; it's almost all hunting of some sort. And then my life starts to change and turn green. And it's this moment where I put the gun away and I pick up the backpack and I start foraging again. And it's. It's one of my favorite times of the year to transition from one part of who I am and what I do to the next part of who I am and what I do. A lot of us have those transitions, and maybe it's a sport that you play that has a season. Maybe it's the end of a busy season at work, and then you finally have time to rest and look up. Maybe it's, I don't know what. Maybe it's your other pursuit. Maybe you're a big turkey hunter and you're waiting for turkeys and or something like that. But savor the transitional moments is what I'm saying. Savor them and recognize them and and embrace them when you can. Because at some point it'll be a slog, and I'll be bored with the green vegetables and you know the the spring greens and the the spring mushrooms. I'm like, oh God, my kingdom for tomato or you know i just want to grill something or or whatever but right now it's still fresh and new and fun and when you have that in your life whatever it is hold on to it that's all i got to say well that's the podcast for today i wanted to just share with you a, a little bit of my springtime fun and Again, I keep going back to this. I am sorry for everybody who lives in snowy places. Uh, This is just one of the reasons why I live where I live, and I wanted to share it with you today. So sorry if you're shoveling snow. Enjoy your winter. uh, Enjoy your springtime. Enjoy it being outside, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.